All right, if you'll stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning in the book of Malachi, we'll be reading chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And if you're using uh, one of the few Bibles in front of it, you can find it on page 545. Again, we're going to read Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants, and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. Let's pray. God, we pray this morning that your word would point us to you. God, that it would point us to your ways. God, and that you would challenge us to, um, Lord, become more committed uh, spiritually to following your ways. Lord, through the power of your Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. Well, as we mentioned already, we're continuing in our, our series here through the book of Malachi. And uh, in case you're wondering, a little review, Malachi the prophet was, uh, he was a messenger of God. He was sent to speak, basically, God's message to God's people. And the message that Malachi was uh, sent by God to speak to the people was rather simple message. It's, it's a message that we have summarized really in one phrase, and that is to live fully devoted to the Lord. That was Malachi's message to the people of God. Now, it was a challenging message. In fact, it was a, a confrontational message because the people were not living fully devoted to the Lord. The people were living half-hearted in their relationship to the Lord. And so, as you might imagine, it was not an easy message to speak. Nor was it an easy message to hear. Did you, in fact, it reminds me, did you hear about the story of the six-year-old boy who, after listening restlessly to a long and tedious sermon, he asked his father what the preacher did the rest of the week. Oh, he's a very busy man, the father replied. He takes care of church business. He, he visits the sick. He works on his sermon. He counsels people. And then he has to have time to rest up because... Speaking in public isn't an easy job. The boy thought for a moment and then said, well, listening ain't easy either. I sometimes wonder if the people in Malachi's day ever felt that way as God's message was being declared. You see, throughout the history of Israel and even throughout the history of the church, the age in which we now live, there has always been the need for spiritual leaders to, to rise up and to lead the people of God by speaking the Word of God. Let me just give you a brief overview or really a review. The worst has happened for God's people up to this point in the book of Malachi. Their worship, as we learned last Sunday, has become worthless in God's eyes. Worship is, is meaningful when we make God's name great by living fully devoted lives unto Him. And it's worthless when we don't. God has condemned the people for despising His name with their worthless worship. And instead of offering the, the best of their animals to the Lord, they were bringing the worst of their animals. They were bringing the lame, the sick, and the blind. And God is grieved by this. 
He's grieved that, that the people, his people, don't love him enough as, as his, their majestic father and as their supreme master to give him their best in worship. And so God holds the people responsible for their worthless worship. And he even curses them, we learned in verse 14 of chapter 1, for breaking their vows to God and covering up their rebellion with religion and offering God their leftovers. Today, this morning here, we're going to see God confronting now those responsible for accepting such worthless worship in the sacrifices of the people. The priests, the priests in Malachi's day were, were spiritual leaders. And understand the priests were not responsible to actually force the people to worship God and even to force them to worship Him perfectly. They were responsible to protect the purity of any worship that took place at the altar of God. To guard the importance of God's table. Even today, this is one of the primary jobs of a pastor, of, of my role as your pastor here, that is to protect the purity of our worship to God. In other words, the priests the Malachi's day, they should have stood up and said something. It was their God-given responsibility to do so. Like the people, the priests were not appointed by God because they were any less sinful than any of the people. Oh no, as evidence, when you go through and you read the, the elaborate purification process that the priests had to go through in order to make sacrifices on behalf of the people. Why? Because they were sinful themselves. But unlike the people, the Levites alone were called to this particular service on behalf of of God's people. They were appointed by God to, in other words, mediate the covenant between God and the people through making acceptable sacrifices on the altar of God. Fulfilling this role, this function, then ensured a peaceful relationship with a holy God. It ensured peace between the priest and God. It also ensured peace between the people and God. And so this was a critical responsibility that the priests were appointed to. But the priests had refused to confront the people about their worthless worship. And so God now confronts the priest of Malachi's day with a very, very stern warning. This warning that God gave the priests also becomes a warning to us who are spiritual leaders today. It becomes a warning to myself. It becomes a warning to those who are pastors, even missionaries such as yourself, Jordan. It becomes a warning to all spiritual leaders. And if you're a leader here this morning, whether you are a pastor in leading a whole church like myself, or you're a leader in Awanas, or you're a husband and a wife, and you're leading your family. Or perhaps you're a Christ follower who has been placed by God to lead the people around you by proclaiming the grace of God. At some form or level, we are all spiritual leaders, as we will see. But in the context, and directly, God is addressing those priests, the spiritual leaders, the pastors of our day, if you will. And here's the warning. It's stern. Look at it in your notes. I invite you to pull it out of your bulletin if you want to follow along and take notes, or you can just follow along on the screen behind me. The warning is this. If you don't glorify God's name in your life and ministry, then you will suffer God's curse on your life and ministry. God commands the priest to basically stop despising my name. And he warns them, if you don't glorify my name and refuse the lame sacrifices that are being offered to me, he will curse them. We see this in Malachi 2. Look at it with me once again in verses 1 through 2. And God is speaking now, and he says, And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. So God is directly speaking to the spiritual leaders of Malachi's day. And God says, If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Now, 
The obvious question is, what is that? What is the curse that God will send on the priest if they don't glorify his name? Well, this is not some bad wish. It's not an eerie spell that God cast on them. This is an intentional curse on the priest's life and ministry. Perhaps it is the curse from Deuteronomy 28 in which God essentially warned all the people, if you don't obey me, you will exchange blessings for destruction. When God brings blessing upon the people, whether it's individual or whether it's corporately, there is life, there's joy, there's peace, there's safety. And when God brings a curse upon a people, there is death, misery, strife, and danger. Here in Malachi chapter 2, the word curse is essentially, it means to ban someone. That is to, to remove a person from the place of blessing. Or to remove that blessing from that person. You see, to suffer God's curse then as a priest meant God was rendering them unfit for ministry. He was removing His blessing from the priests. And it meant they would no longer have an effective ministry to the people. Their ministry now becomes like a plague to the people rather than a blessing to the people. And this is true for all spiritual leaders in the church today and especially for pastors. This is the high cost of spiritual leadership. God's warning is clear. If you don't glorify God's name in your life, in your ministry, then you will suffer God's curse on your life in ministry. The warning could not be any clearer to these priests, just as it is, it is loud and clear to us here today. Let's unpack it for a minute. There's two lessons that jump right out of the pages here of Malachi. And I want you to see these lessons. Number one is this. The curse of priestly failure is to be avoided at all costs. The curse of priestly failure is to be avoided at all costs. Now, here's the temptation, right? and probably it, it is for me, and perhaps it's the temptation for you even right now as you're hearing this. And that is to bring God down to our human understanding and to immediately think, with our human perspective, man, God is way overreacting here. But what we have to understand is that God is absolutely committed to bringing glory to His name as our great King. And so God could not, God would not allow the behavior of these priests to go unchecked to go unpunished. To say that these apathetic priests have grieved God's heart and even made God angry now is an understatement. Last Sunday we asked the question, how did the people get to the point of offering God such lame sacrifices? Today we'll ask the question, well how did the priests get to the point of accepting such lame sacrifices from the people? You know what, God... I love it. He tells us the answer. He tells us how the priest got to this point. Look at it in verse 2. He says to the priest, If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. So here's the failure that we must avoid at all costs. It's a priestly failure. To avoid at all costs. Notice it here in your notes. It's two things. It's twofold. It's closed ears and a hard heart. That's the failure to avoid. Every one of us here this morning as Christ followers, as spiritual leaders, we must avoid this priestly failure at all costs. And that is closed ears, a failure to listen to God's Word, and a hard heart, a failure to care about God's glory. This is the root issue. These priests have closed their ears and they have hard hearts. They have failed to listen to God's voice and they have failed to care about God's glory. 
What God's doing here is He's connecting our hearts with our ears. Oftentimes, our resistance to the truth is not that we don't understand it, but that we don't like it. Or worse yet, we don't even care about it. We're apathetic to it. We're indifferent to it. You see, the priests have literally closed their ears to God because they don't care about God's glory anymore. And that's why God says at the end of verse 2, Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. In other words, they do not take to heart what God is trying to tell them. And so now God declares at the end of this section in verse 9, so I in turn have made you despise. Why? Because they have despised Him and humiliated before all the people. In other words, there's no turning back God's hand. The priests have failed miserably here and the curse for their sin is already upon them. But folks, there is good news in light of this still. Please understand. Please, please know that sinful behavior, my sinful behavior, your sinful behavior can be forgiven. Praise God, right? If, 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 if we will listen to God, if we will turn from our sin and repentance, and if we don't, if we refuse to listen, if we press firmly ahead in our sin, then we invite God's curse upon our life in our ministries. So what price then did the priests pay for their disobedience? Well, God's curse, let me tell you, it's quite graphic and it's quite severe. Look what it says in verses 3 through 4. God says, behold. Now that's an interesting word. It's actually, I love this word. It's the idea, pay attention. In other words, look intently what I'm getting ready to say. Behold. God is emphatic here, in other words. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feast, in other words, your animals that you're sacrificing, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. Now, there's basically three aspects here to God's curse on Israel's priests. The first aspect is devastation. Devastation. God will rebuke the priest's descendants. Now, immediately that puts us in confrontation with a myth that many, many people believe in our culture today. A myth that says the sins you commit or the decisions you make as an individual don't affect anyone else. But that myth is busted right here. The priest's flippant attitude towards God and towards His glory will have a detrimental effect on their children, God says. They will be, the children of the priest will now be cut off from the blessing of serving as priest. In other words, the priest's sin was so blatant and so dishonoring to the Lord that their children will also suffer the consequences of their actions and they will have no one to blame but who? Themselves. Devastation. The second aspect to God's curse is humiliation. God will smear dung or refuse on the priest's face. Now this aspect of God's curse is very bizarre, and let's admit it, it's extremely gross, is it not? So what's up with this? What's up with God smearing dung? Can I say it? Poop on the priest's faces. Well, what we have to understand is that before the priest could bless the people, before the priest could offer sacrifices that the people bring, he had to be purified by sacrificing a bull because he was sinful, or can we say he was, quote, poopy himself. You go to Exodus chapter 29, verse 14, and it says, The flesh 
of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire, but notice where? Outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Now, there were some offerings, such as the burnt offering, where they, they would burn literally the entire animal as a sacrifice to God. But this particular offering, the sin offering, you did not. The words dung here, or refuse in some of your translations, it actually, all of these words are interchangeable and refer to the inner parts of the animal that are nasty, that are unclean, the stomach, the intestines, the digestive tract, all the way to that area that's getting ready to be eliminated from that animal. It's the parts you get rid of as quickly as possible, and yet it is the very parts God will smear on the priest's faces. In essence, God will smear the priest's sin because that's what all this represents. The sin offering of this animal, this portion of the animal, represents the sin of the people. And it was not to be burned, it was to be carried away outside of the camp. And so it is symbolic of what God is doing. He will smear, in other words, the sin of the priests back onto their faces, giving them manure makeovers for all the people to see and to smell. In other words, God will cover the priest with shame and He will make them a stench to the people. Talk about humiliation. There's a third aspect to this curse, and that is rejection. God will remove the priest from service in the temple. You see, since the priest's face were now covered with dung, they were too unclean. They were now unclean and unworthy to serve as priests. And so just as the, the dung of the animals, the refuse of the animal, had to be carried away from the temple, so God would make sure that the priests were now carried away, if you will, from service in the temple. Miles Bennett writes, the defiled priest, unfit for the demands of duty, will be carried off and deposited with dung on the city dumping grounds. Thus, they will be utterly disgraced and dishonored. Folks, here's the point that we need to understand. It is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing to be in the crosshairs of God's wrath. Whether God meant it figuratively or whether God meant it literally, listen, having dung smeared on your face is awful. It is gross. But as disgusting and embarrassing as it may be, let me tell you, this is a fairly light sentence on the priest. You're like, Whoa, what? That's, that is a light curse? Absolutely. According to Numbers 18, verse 32, the, their penalty, the priest's penalty, you know what it should have been? Death. Death. And yet God, in His grace, extended mercy in sparing their lives. Ultimately, this curse was an object lesson for all the people to see. God tells us in verse 4, then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant with Levi may continue. Unfortunately, the priest of Malachi's day, they failed miserably. They failed to listen to God's voice and they failed to honor God's name and consequently they suffered God's curse. And to remove any doubt about their failure, Malachi then goes on and he exposes Four fatal flaws of the priest in Malachi verses two, I mean Malachi two verses eight through nine. Look at it. You drop down to eight and nine, and God says, "But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi," says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I have also made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. You see, in addition. Get this, in addition, the priests had many responsibilities. And in addition to the responsibility of offering sacrifices to the Lord, the priests were also responsible for teaching the people God's Word. 
what Malachi refers here to as God's law or God's instruction or God's ways. The priests were to be faithful to proclaim God's Word, to live God's Word, to uphold God's Word, and to protect God's Word. As messengers of God, the priests were to represent God by communicating everything that God had said. And the people then were to come to the priest to hear from the priest everything that God had said. But these priests in particular, in Malachi's day, had failed to do their job as teachers of God's Word. God's Word had become very unimportant to them. And they themselves had become very apathetic to God's Word and in their teaching. They knew some truth, they taught half-truth, and they skipped the hard truth. And God cursed them for it. Now specifically, these fatal flaws, there's four of them. I want to briefly go through them with you so you can see them. The first fatal flaw were the priest departed from God's ways or God's Word. The way is described in verse 7. Look what it says. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and the people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. In other words, the priests have strayed from God's word. Therefore the people could not come to the priest for instruction in God's word. This is a serious, serious priestly failure. When God predicted the ruin of his people in another Old Testament book, a minor prophet book, Amos, he said that the famine that would destroy the people would be the, a famine of, get this, the Word of God. Folks, this is the greatest danger we face in our churches today. There, we don't have a famine of copies of the Word of God in America, but what we have is a famine of people being in the Word of God and in particular, spiritual leaders being in the Word of God and teaching all of the Word of God. The greatest danger facing our churches today, and especially here in America, is the danger of departing from God's Word. As John Piper writes, far more devastating for the church is the doctrinal defection of pastors away from the authority and sufficiency of Scripture and away from biblical truth. There was a second fatal flaw. The priest distracted the people from God. How tragic it is that the priests actually caused the people of Israel to stumble and to fall into sin. Instead of guiding the people into righteousness, they were leading them into sinfulness. Are the sins of spiritual leaders more grievous than the sins of others? That's a good question to ponder, isn't it? Are the sins of the spiritual leaders more grievous than the sins of the people they lead? Yes. But not because the sin in and of itself is worse but because when spiritual leaders sin, they cause many to stumble. In other words, when a pastor shipwrecks his faith, others go down with the ship. No wonder Jesus says, both in Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark, if you are part of shipwrecking someone else's faith, it would have been better for you to have been drowned with a millstone around your neck than to have caused them to stumble. So let me ask you, everyone, we're all leaders in some capacity here this morning, who is in your boat with you? What are the consequences or who are the casualties if you shipwreck your boat, your faith? Who's going to possibly go down with you and God will hold you responsible? 
You see, the priests departed from God's ways. They distracted the people from God Himself, causing them to sin. And number three, a third fatal flaw, the priests demonstrated partiality in the law of God. You say, what does that mean? It means the priests were treating God's Word the same way they were treating God's sacrifices. You give God the sacrifices that will leave you with the most money, and you give the people the teaching that will bring in the most money. In other words, here's what that means. You play to your audience. And that's what the priests were doing here. And pastors do this all the time in churches across America and around the world. They play to their audience. You don't step on any toes in your teaching. You say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And, or to put it in the way that Micah, another Old Testament prophet, 3.11 puts it, her leader, speaking of Israel, her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. That's what these priests were doing here. They were in it for personal gain, and so they were playing favoritism with the people in relation to the very Word of God. Number fourth, a fourth fatal flaw, the priests disregarded God's covenant. By their failures, Israel's priests corrupted or violated the very covenant that was intended to bring life and peace. They had failed to fulfill their God-given responsibilities as God's spiritual leaders. And such failure, God could not and He would not ignore. And so God's judgment was already at work on the priest here. The priest had lost all respect in the eyes of the people. And folks, when that happens... That person's ministry is finished. And in this case of these priests, they were fired. That's what's taking place here. God is removing them. He is firing them from their ministry as priests. What a sad, sad, somber testimony these priests left behind. And I, I studied this week, and I'm like, God, please let that not be my testimony as a pastor. So what lesson should we take away? What lesson? Because there is a lesson here. And here's the lesson for spiritual leaders today. The curse of priestly failure is to be avoided at all costs. And though God cursed these priests for their priestly failure to honor His name, listen, the good news is God never, listen, He never gave up on the priesthood. At the end of verse 4, God said that my covenant with Levi may what? Continue. That's why God was doing this. He was protecting the priesthood so that it would continue. Which brings us to our, third, our second point here, the second lesson. The blessing of priestly success is to be followed at all costs. What we see here in the middle of this section, in verses 5-7, through seven, is the priestly success of Levi. Levi is a Christ-like example for spiritual leaders that we should follow at all costs. This Christ-like example of Levi, I want to break it down into five of them and briefly go through them with you here for a moment. First of all, Levi was a man of Christ-like commitment. God says in verse 5, My covenant was with him, was with Levi, one of life and peace. Now a covenant, what is a covenant? Well, first of all, it's not a contract. God didn't make contracts. He made covenants with his people. And in this case, he, make, he made a covenant with the Levites or Levite. A covenant is agreement between two or more people in which each commits to do or not do certain things. And Malachi is telling us that God made a covenant with Levi whose descendants would become the priesthood in the Old Testament for the people of Israel. And with this covenant, listen, it, it came with privileges. It came with responsibilities of leading the people in worship. This covenant was set up under Moses, and one author, John Benton, notes, and I quote his words, that those priests, after the horrendous affair of the golden calf in Exodus 32, responded to God with reverence, and they stood in awe of Him. 
They had a holy seriousness and deep respect towards the things of God. Their top priority was not that all the congregations should have a bit of fun. They knew they were engaged in business for eternity. They took great care how they behaved, living all their lives under the eye of the holy God. The result of this kind of commitment to God's covenant, God says, would be one of life and peace. You say, what does that mean? It just simply means this, that life and peace would be offered to the priest and it would be life and peace for the people as well. Levi was a man of Christ-like commitment. Number two, he was a man of Christ-like character. God says of Levi in verse 5, so he feared me and was reverent before my name. Now the fear of God. The fear of God is the most basic attitude that we need to have as Christ followers. Did you hear what I'm saying here? That's, that's for all of us, not just spiritual leaders, not just for pastors, but everyone who is a Christ follower here this morning. It is the most basic attitude that we need to have before a holy God. The fear of God is the foundation for Christian living for our ministries as well. The fear of God will give you zeal for ministry. It will drive you to prayer, pleading for God's help in your ministry. It will cause you to walk in humility because you know how great our God is. It will give you motivation to live a holy life. You see, the basic problem among the priests in Malachi's day as well as the people in Malachi's day is the same problem in our day. We don't fear God anymore. We don't have a healthy fear of a holy God. So what is that? What is the fear of God? Well, the fear of God is to stand in awe of Him. It is to revere who He is. And as we've already seen, He is our majestic Father, and He is our supreme Master. And the idea behind two of those is He has supreme authority and sovereignty and power, and He holds everything in the palm of His hands. It is the idea to submit to His authority, to dread His displeasure, and to honor His name. And I know this runs counterculture to what we think will give us happiness in life. But it's not. Listen, the more we fear God, the more likely we are to obey Him. And folks, the more we obey our Heavenly Father, the more joy we find in Him. Number three, Levi was a man of Christ-like communication. God says of Levi in verse 6, look at it, the law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. And then you drop down to verse 7 and it says, for the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth. You see, when the priest taught, it was to be true to God's Word. In other words, they were not, just as I am not, we're not to stop short of the truth and fall into liberalism. We're not to go beyond the truth and advance into legalism. This means the pastor must preach God's Word unapologetically. We must not alter God's message. I must not alter God's message to tickle the ears of the people. I must not shrink back from doctrinal truths just to appease our culture. I must not preach man-centered messages just to please the masses. I must be a spiritual leader who stands on the infallible, inerrant Word of God, preaches the whole counsel of God, and leaves the results to God. Why? Because according to verse 7, for He is the messenger of the very Lord of hosts. And as God's messengers, listen, I have a responsibility to faithfully protect God's Word by proclaiming God's Word. Number four, Levi was a man of Christ-like consistency. God says in verse six, he walked with me in peace and equity or righteousness. When the Bible uses the word walk, it almost always refers to one's lifestyle or to one's relationship with the Lord. And while this walk, let's be honest, 
will never be perfect. Just ask my wife. In fact, ask any spiritual leader's family or their spouse. It will never be perfect. And while this walk will never be perfectly righteous, folks, listen, it should be consistently righteous. Just think of Billy Graham consistency. And you guys understand what I'm talking about. Number five, Levi was a man of Christ-like courage. God also says this about Levi in verse 6. And he turned many away from iniquity, which is another word for sin. Now, here's what's interesting. Don't miss this. This was Levi. He, it is said of him, turned many away from sin. This is just the opposite of what the priests were doing in Malachi's day. They were causing many to stumble in sin. But with the righteousness of God and with the power of the Word of God, Levi turned many away from sin. And folks, that takes courage. The ministry of a spiritual leader can either destroy people or it can save people. And this is why God holds spiritual leaders to a higher standard than those being led. And so God warns us. God warns me as your pastor. In Jordan, God is warning you as a missionary. And God is warning all of us here as spiritual leaders in some capacity or form. If you don't glorify God's name in your life and ministry, then you will suffer God's curse on your life and ministry. And while the God addresses the priest in Malachi's day, Here's the beautiful thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ reminds us that all believers today are priests. According to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, God says, we, as believers in Christ, we are a royal priesthood. And as part of that royal priesthood, we have been called, we have been ordained now, to proclaim the greatness of our God. In the words of Peter, the excellencies of God. The one who has called you out of darkness into light. And so we're all. What a privilege to be set apart now. Every one of us as spiritual leaders for God's service. However, with great privilege comes what? Great responsibility. Thankfully. Oh, thankfully. Gloriously, thankfully, one has come who has carried out this responsibility perfectly. As our great high priest, Jesus Christ, is the new and better Levi. And to that we all say, glory, amen. Man, give it up. Last night, my Jayhawks won in overtime, and I was jumping up and down. And that's what we're doing this morning, man. We're excited that a new and better Levi has come. And it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus stands as that new and better Levi. Jesus is the fulfillment, get this, of the Levitical priesthood. Jesus performed perfectly in every area in which the priest of Malachi's generation failed and in which spiritual leaders today fell as well. Jesus was the perfect priest. Folks, He never sinned. Jesus offered up the perfect sacrifice. Do you realize Jesus died in my place for my sins? And if I can use the vernacular of Malachi here, in other words, Jesus took the dung of my sin Instead of smearing it on my face, He smeared it on His face when He died on the cross. Therefore, therefore, according to Hebrews 7, 25-27, it says, He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Amen. Have you drawn near to God through the priest? in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He goes on and says, since He always lives now to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest 
who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those priests, the priests of the Old Testament, to offer sacrifices daily. Why? First for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. You say, what does this mean for me? Oh, it's glorious. It means my great high priest offered himself as a sacrifice for me so that I might now offer myself as a sacrifice to others. Like the priest in the Old Testament, if you are a husband or wife, a parent or grandparent, an employee or a neighbor or even a student, you have been appointed by God to serve as His royal priest to the people in your life. You are God's righteousness. Do you understand that? Because you have been covered by the righteousness of Christ. You are now there with the people that God has put you by to uphold God's name. You are there to display God's glory. You are there to proclaim God's grace in Jesus Christ. And the best way to show Christ to the people around you is to live fully devoted to the Lord. Now, in ourselves. We try to do this in ourselves. We will fall short every time, will we not? And so, Jordan, do not try to do this on your own as you go back to the Philippines and Nikki too. Because you will come up short every time. But, but, gloriously but, in Christ, we can find grace. That is power to live fully devoted to Him. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In other words, let us hold fast to our faith in the great high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And now listen to this. Let us then. Let us then. With confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Folks, I can't be any more honest with you than to tell you I need God's grace. As your pastor, I need God's mercy and I need your prayers on behalf of myself as your pastor. I need you to offer up to the throne of our Lord and Savior, to His throne of grace, and plead His power and His blessing on my life. And that's what every spiritual leader needs. And so I beg you to take this insert that's in your bulletin, and it is a prayer guide of praying for spiritual leaders. And to use this to pray for myself and Pastor Chris and all the rest of our ministry leaders in our church this is also a prayer guide that you can use to actually pray for Jordan and Nikki as well. In fact, it's what we're going to do right now. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Chris to come. And those of you that are involved in the commissioning of Jordan and Nikki, if you'll come and sit on the front row here and to utilize this prayer guide in praying. That's what we're going to take some time to do at this moment. to uh, be a part of this. Amen, church? And I always want you to, uh, when you think about commissioning, I want you to think through Acts chapter 13, where the church at Antioch commended uh, Barnabas and, and Paul on the first recorded missionary journey of the church, and they commended them to the grace of God, the grace that Pastor Bruce just talked about. Because ultimately what we're doing as a church for Jordan and for Nikki is we're affirming 
and recognizing God's work already in you. We're not doing anything to them. We're recognizing what God has already done in and through them. Amen? And so we are recognizing God's call on your life. We're recognizing how God has been at work in your life. And church, we have done this on their first term, and that's a significant celebration because, you know, uh, we sent them off. Do you remember that? And here it's been all this time, and they've been with us now on furlough for two years. Is it two? Two years. And it has flown by so quickly, has it not? We've been very privileged as a church to have you with us these two years, and we know that uh, uh, your mom and dad are very honored to have you with them these two years, but uh, we got to get in on that goodness too. So we're glad that Bill and Sandra are a part of our church. And part of what we wanna do today too is honor them uh, because I really uh, always have a burden on parents and even now as a father to release our children unto the Lord. And so we've given Sandra a bouquet of flowers today because this is bittersweet, but we know that by the grace of God, they have released you and Nikki, their only daughter, and, uh, and now their only grandson and granddaughter. And that is a part of what we're doing. So I do wanna read to you Luke 18 and verse 28 and 29, because there, Peter says to Jesus, Behold, we have left all our homes and followed you. And here's what Jesus said to his disciples. And he's saying that to the Howe family. And he's saying that to you, Jordan and Nikki, this morning. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. It is a good thing to offer our children up to the Lord. And in doing so, we offer ourselves as parents because we make that sacrifice that often we didn't have any choice in except that we released them to the Lord. But we didn't mean you to go this far but sometimes God has that. And we do want to recognize that what Jordan and Nikki do, are doing does not place them in a special category set apart as though they are now superheroes as much as Jordan enjoys comic books. But in reality, this is just what they have done. They've become living sacrifices for the Lord. They are believer priests like all of us, and God has so chosen to lead and guide them, and you have by faith and obedience and by the grace of God have been led to take these steps, and we're just honoring that and releasing them to the grace of God. Amen? Is this just good stuff? All right, well, that's what we're going to do. But we want to have some fun doing it, and we want to give them some good gifts here before they go. So, Jordan, Nikki, you got to be off. Up here. Okay. Let's, let's give them a hand, isn't it? We want to recognize you. Let's go. Father, we come to you first of all in gratitude. We just recognize that even the opportunity to have the Nisleys with us is a gift of grace from you. They came, and while they were here over furlough, they blessed us. They, uh, they learned, but they taught. They shared their lives with us, and we thank you for that. We thank you for an opportunity as a church, God, that we can now send them out. But they're sent out, God, to proclaim. And we just ask that you would not only continue gifting them as you have, but continue to motivate them and encourage them that they would proclaim your word, that they would proclaim your gospel. And God, whether they're proclaiming to students at the college, whether they're proclaiming within their church or in small groups, whether they're proclaiming to their very own children that it would be laced with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension that has provided us with eternal life. God, let them proclaim the gospel. Let them proclaim it to all nations. Let it return with great fruit in their life. But God, we also ask that you be with them as they, as they continue teaching. And after the gospel has taken root, that they would proclaim the entire counsel of your word that each book and each chapter and verse has such value and worth that they would teach it and they would help people grow in that. God, 
We lift them up, and we just ask that you be with them as they proclaim. Fathers, we continue. We pray for their, their purity. Lord, I pray for both Jordan and Nikki, that they would be convicted by your word and your spirit, that they would be close to you, that they would remain clean before you in their marriage relationship and their relationships with others. Lord, that you would guard their hearts and minds and keep them in your word and uh, in ever reading and studying and memorizing and meditating on your word so that they just remain and are able to have the effectiveness and, and, and the, the most potential in their ministry because they remain close to you and they remain pure in their convictions um, and in their actions and in their attitudes and in their thoughts and, and, uh, and just protect them in that area, Lord, as, as this area is the area that can so much impact other areas of their ministry, that you would uh, go before them, that you would make them teachable, but Lord, that they would just be led by your spirit to be um, above reproach and just to be clean and, and before you and according to your word. In Jesus' name. Father, we are grateful for the time that you've allowed us to have with Jordan and Nikki and Desmond and Amelia. And I just want to, as you send them forward on their journey, I just want to pray specifically for them in the area, Father, that you provide protection over their marriage and that you provide protection over their family. I pray that you will um, supply them with a continual love and support that they need to relate to one another as husband and wife and to raise their children and to minister to the people that you give them. Father, I know that their desire is to be fully devoted as followers to you. And I pray that you will help them to be um, consistent models of Christ-like love and character and conduct in their relationship to one another, towards their children, and to the people you give them to serve. Father, give them wisdom in raising their children. And I want to pray even now for Desmond and for Amelia, that your spirit be working in their lives and in their heart that at a young age and young in life, they will also make the decision to receive Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Father, I trust that you will meet their needs. And Father, I pray that through this young family, you will be glorified by the way that they relate to one another as husband and wife, as parents and servants of the gospel. And I thank you that we can be a part of that and pray that you would be glorified in them and through them. Fathers, we continue in prayer for uh, Nikki and Jordan uh, and as they go forward to carry uh, the good news of your son Jesus Christ to those who are lost and who need uh, your salvation. Uh, we pray, Father, for them. Uh, your word tells us that we have an enemy. And Father, he is there all the time waiting to destroy. He is there to keep anyone who comes to enlarge your kingdom and bring salvation to the lost world to destruction. And so Father, we know this, but we also know that you are far more powerful and far more mighty and that there is nothing that you cannot overtake. And so in this truth, we claim protection for Nikki and Jordan and Desmond and Amelia. And we pray, Father, for spiritual protection, for physical protection. And as they go forward from this time on to do what you've called them to do, to the place you have sent them to, we claim that protection and know full well, Father, that you will provide it in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Father, we come before your throne of grace and we, we plead on behalf of Jordan and Nikki that you would extend your power, your mercy, so that they may persevere 
in the ministry that you have called them to there in the Philippines. Lord, help them to persevere in season and out of season, in the good and the bad, when it's tough and when it's hard, and not to give up, not to quit. Because, Lord, those times will come. And so help them to stand firm to the end. But most of all, to do so looking to Jesus Christ as their source, their strength, and example of faithful service. And so, Lord, empower them to persevere in the grace of you. And, Lord, we give thanks and we praise you that you will protect them and that you will help them and see them to the end. And you are the one that is doing all of this. And so we thank you so much for the opportunity that is presented before them and before our church. And Lord, we thank you in advance of the fruit that will come from their ministry and from their faithfulness. We pray these things in your name. Amen.